0: This is the
1: Biblical Mind Podcast, produced by the Center for Hebraic Thought. Honest five-star reviews help others find this podcast. Visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org for articles and videos that explore the deep structures of scripture. Armenia has a very rich history of the Christian religion. Thaddeus and Bartholomew came to Armenia in the first century and evangelized to the people then. And then in 301, King Teredates III officially converted to Christianity and made it a Christian nation. And so it's considered the first Christian nation in the world.
0: Yeah. So, like, geographically, the first Christian nation in the world. Yes. Um, And I've noticed we were talking to uh, Mariam. Waba about Coptic Christianity. And the first thing out of her mouth as well was that Mark went down to Egypt, right? And so there's this, an apostle comes and establishes the church. And same thing with um, Malabar Coast Indians, right? The apostle Thomas comes and establishes the church. Um, like. Is that important to the identity of Armenian Christianity? Could it have have been been anonymous Christians or is it like, why is the apostle so important for them?
1: So the main Armenian church today is known as the Armenian Apostolic Church. So uh, having a sense of the apostolic identity is is essential to the tradition. They they have a continuous line of succession since the first Catholicos Gregory the Illuminator.
0: Gregory, the Illuminator or Eliminator?
1: (laughs) Illuminator, yes. (laughs) Okay,
0: just making sure. Because, you know, in Christian history, it could go either way, right? Uh, I could imagine some people might get a little bit haughty about the idea that they come from the apostles and maybe might even think things like, well, we do it right because we come from the apostolic tradition. Do you get any sense of that in Armenian or maybe even Coptic or Syriac Christianity?
1: I think there is a sense of, of pride in general. Armenians are very proud people. We love being Armenian and we we love the the right of, of being the first Christian nation. I don't know though if that's the exact source of the pride in the church. And I think in Protestant circles, there's some sense of apostolic succession too, that the faith has been passed down right. from person to person over the centuries.
0: Yeah. Okay. So we shouldn't go any further without talking about some of the most famous Armenians in the world. You know, you knew this was coming. Yes. Okay. In, the Kardashians, right? In America,
1: the Kardashians.
0: <laughs> yes. I, I think in the world, they might be the most Do you know of any more famous ones? It, like, So I learned from an Armenian student that if somebody has an IAN at the end of their name, chances are they are probably Armenian. Is that correct?
1: That is true. So it's the the word for son of, and I think some Indians too will have the the Y A N in in Armenia. It tends oh, to be a Y, transliterated with a Y instead of an I. So you might get an Indian, but but most likely okay. it's an Armenian.
0: Okay, uh, and so I, I mean, on a, you know, no joke. The the show being the Kardashians, they take a pilgrimage to Armenia, and they you know they actually go to churches and. I mean, people who probably never thought about world Christianity or ancient Christian history at all are now learning about it through the Kardashians. Do you think, okay, on the whole, is this a plus or a minus?
1: I was unaware of that.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: I I don't follow a lot of pop culture, but I I think anything that would draw attention to the churches in Armenia, it's so valuable. Um, Right now, many of the historic churches going back to the Middle Ages are under threat, I guess, um, in the the region of Artsakh, which is the disputed territory in Azerbaijan. Mm. So um, it's very painful, I think, to have the the ongoing threat of conquest or um, lack of care for, for those churches um, just for political reasons.
0: Yeah, and there was recent military action. Is it still ongoing from it Azerbaijan quite, attacking hmm. uh, Armenia?
1: Yes, yeah, so there is... Blockade right now. Uh, Armenia lost the the war in 2020, and so Azerbaijan recaptured some of the territory in Nagorno-Karabakh, which um, is known within Armenian circles as Artsakh. And right now, there's one corridor, the Lachin corridor, which is um, being blockaded by Azeri eco-activists. and so it's um, been going over uh, on for over a month now. Hmm. And it's just it's a dire situation, and I think. Um, the language of genocide is being used again, where people feel that there is an ethnic campaign, um, an ethnic cleansing campaign being started again.
0: And what you know, if you were to summarize that, is that a political or religious, or uh, the all you know, all, all political <laughs> problems are religious in some ways. Is that based in a religious difference or a political dispute or both?
1: It's something I've been wondering about. I don't know what the case would be if Armenians had been Muslim, but it. Mm. Seems to be um, political, ethnic, and and within that is the religious difference.
0: Yeah. Um, real quick, what language do they speak in Armenia?
1: We speak Armenian. So there are okay. two dialects in in Armenian. It's it's Eastern Armenian, and then um, there's a Western dialect that is spoken primarily in Lebanon and Syria. Hmm.
0: And is that a uh... Eastern, and Western, is this like uh, New York English and Alabama English? Or what, when you say dialects, like how, sh- how strongly different are the dialects?
1: My understanding is that people in Armenia can understand Western Armenia better than people who speak Western Armenian can understand the Eastern dialect. I think there's a difference grammatically and in terms of some vocabulary.
0: Okay. That's yeah. always the way it is. One, one group can, you know, like in Brazil, people who speak Spanish can understand Portuguese typically better than people who speak Portuguese can understand Spanish. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't understand that. But, um, and of course, uh, I mean, one of the, you know, in the 20th century, the, one of the largest features of the Armenian people that in world history was the Armenian genocide. Um, how has that featured into the history of the church in the 20th, 21st century? Like, is that, is that a central to their identity or is that just kind of like a, a dark spot in the history that nobody wants to talk about.
1: It's central to all Armenian identity, including the identity of the church. So I was thinking about the the history of Christianity in our in Armenia in preparation for this, and I realized that there was a battle in 451, um, the Battle of Ayrfayir, which uh, Armenians lost. Back then, it was a battle against the Persians trying to defend the Christian faith against Zoroastrian. Incursion, and I realized that there's some premonition of martyrdom in the fifth century. That, that there would just be a history of conquest and um, turmoil. And I think in the twentieth century, that just shaped the entire uh, the entire course of Armenian life. So there's a an Armenian diaspora because of the the genocide. Mm. Um, it's thought that 1.5 million Armenians were killed, which was three-fourths of the Armenian population at the time. Hmm. And then what happened after that? In um, 1920, when Armenia became part of the Soviet Union, there was a real consequence to the apostolic church at that time, that it was under Soviet influence and control. And I think even to this day, the the church in Armenia is trying to recover from that.
0: Is there an anti-Soviet Sentiment because I, I feel like the Christianity in Armenia, it's not Russian Orthodoxy, so it doesn't get any of that soft privilege of the state. So where did where did it fall under the Russian bloc?
1: Yes, my sense is that the there was Russian political influence over the Catholicos and the head of the Armenian church, so that um, this, there's a very complicated history of relationship between um, Armenian Christians in the Middle East and Armenian Christians in Armenia. But hmm. um, it seems as if the the Russian influence was more political, I guess I would say, rather than um, ecclesiastical.
0: Okay. And so if you were to walk into Armenian communities and churches today, so we talked about before we got uh, recording in California, there's a fairly large Armenian community, including the Kardashians. Um, and, uh, I, is there anything that Armenians are, if I could pause that question for a second, is there anything Armenians are known for? Like, are they known to be almond farmers? Are they known like to be fisher? Uh, like, is there something certain sure. industries that they're famous sure. for?
1: Chances are you've had an Armenian dentist or, or uh, you could find an Armenian dentist. Uh, certainly, uh, carp- the carpet business is filled with Armenians, the jewelry business, Hmm. Um, there are certain fields that Armenians flock towards.
0: So there are like with uh, Jewish diaspora, there are, there are actually very historical reasons why Jews Jewish people are in certain industries, especially in the East Coast in America, because they, you know they weren't allowed to participate in some industries. Is that the same for Armenians, or it's just like chain migration of industry? They some person got into it, they found there was money in it, and their family gets into it.
1: It probably depends by industry. Certainly, the carpet business came over from armenia Mm -hmm. turkey lebanon and syria but then uh the dentistry i think is probably just a function of wanting to succeed here and it's close to being a medical doctor um i also think there's a large tradition of armenians being self-employed and that there was some security of being your own boss in a number of lands where where there could be hostile forces
0: oh fascinating um Okay, going back to the Armenian churches uh, outside of Armenia. Um, So you're in Pennsylvania, there's an Armenian community there as well. Um, Where else would we like, where are the the hotspots of Armenians in North America?
1: Yes, absolutely. So in the Boston area, Boston and Watertown, and then also Worcester. So that would be the Mm -hmm. Massachusetts block. That's the second largest community, I believe. So California is the first with about 200,000 Armenians. And in the Fresno part of California, certainly you would have Armenian almond farmers, and and
0: oh, they really are almond. Oh, farmers.
1: They, they really are.
0: Oh, I <laughs> yes. thought I was pulling that out of the air. Okay, no, and
1: in fact, actually, raisin. Uh, I think one of the head raisin companies in in America is, is led by an Armenian family. In I Feziden. must have
0: heard that at some point, and you know, there's some tacit knowledge I had of that. Okay. So mean. that's Fresno. Uh, anywhere else in the US?
1: Well, certainly. So, um, Los, Los Angeles, within California, the Glendale area, it's Little Armenia. You can walk in and speak mm. Armenian in stores. Detroit has a large Arab population and also a sizable Armenian community there. And then in New York, um, in fact, in Murray Hill, not too far from where you might be, uh, it used to be called Little Armenia. And that's mm. where St. Fartan's Church is, which has one of those very traditional churches. Uh, Armenian architectural styles for for a church.
0: Oh, nice. And so for, there's Armenian Orthodox, there's Armenian Catholic, is that correct? Yes. And then uh, then Armenian uh, Protestant, and you're a pastor in an Armenian Protestant church. Is Armenian spoken in all of those liturgies?
1: Yes, very good question. So in the Armenian Apostolic Church, classical Armenian is spoken, Kodapar, and that's not widely understood by, by the laity. Hmm. Um, I think in the Armenian Catholic Church, um, Karapar is spoken as well. It's- um, Post-Vatican uh, too, of course. <laughs> post Yeah. And I think I, w- I was reading about this, that the commitment in Armenian Catholic churches to maintaining the Armenian language is, is motivated by a different set of concerns than than Catholics who wanted to keep Latin. right? And then in the Armenian Protestant Church, we have um, a good mix of, of Armenian and English, but it's predominantly English in the congregation that I lead.
0: Okay. And is there any, like, um, I don't know, I, when I was in the Church of Scotland, there was a little bit of pressure that the pastor would pronounce blessings in uh, Scots or Gallic. Is oh. there any pressure, like, kind of like the real stuff is in Armenian and all this other stuff we do is in English? Is there a sense like that with the language? Like, is there a spiritual sense to the language?
1: I feel something in my own spirit when I hear people pray in Armenian. There's something mm. very precious about that. I heard it said that if you wanted to curse, you would curse in Turkish, but if you wanted to pray, you would pray in Armenian.
0: <laughs> I mean, there's something like that in Israel. You know, is, all Israelis will tell you there are no curse words in Hebrew. Uh, all their curse words they use are Arabic, right? Uh, so um, that's funny. What uh, and what you know? If if is there such a thing as a typical Armenian Protestant church? I can imagine the Apostolic Church and the Roman Catholic Church follows very standard liturgies and patterns, but to the Protestants. Are, are there 10,000 different Armenian Protestant churches?
1: There's more freedom in how we conduct our services. So there are 33 Armenian evangelical churches in North and South America, and we have two different denominational affiliations, or I suppose maybe even more than that. So um, historically, we've been either Presbyterian or what ended up becoming the United Church of Christ. So those mm. were the missionary or- organizations that sent missionaries over to Turkey or the Ottoman Empire in the 19th century. Mm. And they, those American missionaries failed to convert the Muslims, and so they ended up converting Armenians from apostolic <laughs> Christianity to <laughs> Protestantism. And then they sponsored us when we came to the States after the genocide.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, go with what you know. That makes sense. Uh, and um, so, in in your church, is you know, if I was to walk in, what would hit me as Armenian? Besides maybe hearing somebody pray in Armenian or whatever, uh, what what would hit me as distinctly Armenian in your church?
1: I think it's our hospitality. So I lead the Armenian Martyrs Congregational Church in Havertown, and we're a small group. It's in some ways, very recognizable as a mainline Protestant service. Um, Non-Armenian Americans who are used to uh, mainline Christianity would would feel very at home in our service. Um, but I think the thing that would hit you is the sense of a really Middle Eastern welcome and mm. love and food and all of those things.
0: Yeah. Food-wise, what's, uh, what's so special about Armenia?
1: We love we love to, to eat and to, to feed people. So there is a, a pretty strong difference, I would say, between the cuisine in in the homeland and then what has been filtered through Lebanon and Syria. And I mm. have a great preference for the, the Lebanese and Syrian yeah, well,
0: I mean, ways of doing things. It's not hard stuff to eat, right?
1: Oh, it's so delicious, yes.
0: Yeah. Um, and... You know, we think about um, there's that famous book by Thomas Cahill, The Gift of the Jews or The Gifts of the Jews, right? And he kind of chronicles the various uh, things that the Hebrew people gave the Western world. Um, Do you feel like there's uh, the, could you say there's a book to be written called The Gift of the Armenians, the Armenian church Um, and and specifically to Western Christianity? What do you feel like is missing or could be learned from uh, the gifts of Armenian Christianity?
1: I just love that. There's a really rich biblical history or even just the history of early Christian literature because the the country converted so early. So there are a number of texts preserved in, in Armenian that only exist now in the Armenian language. And so between that and, and just the rich illuminated manuscripts, I think that are so beautiful, um, that would be one of the gifts of, hmm. of Armenian Christianity. A couple of years ago, there was that, exhibit at the metropolitan museum it was armenia with an exclamation point Mm -hmm. and um they focused on the the middle ages and particularly how armenia served as a trade route or was on the trade route in between india and china and um it was just this great cultural mixing place for that for that reason but the the images actually they're all available online um just so many striking striking images
0: and these are illuminated uh, manuscripts of the biblical text, like the book of Yes, Bells but then there of?
1: would be um, embroideries and other other art forms, I guess.
0: I was so hoping you're going to say recipes.
1: <laughs> no, no recipes from biblical text.
0: Biblical text, and then like a, an addendum with a bunch of recipes from a local church, like you know those potluck recipe books that churches put together. Yeah. Have you done that yet uh, in this church? Have you put together a recipe book?
1: No, but I think that there are, historically, I think that there have been uh, cookbooks or recipe books circulated among the Armenian evangelicals.
0: Yeah, like the church I mm-hmm. became a Christian, they had, they had a recipe book, and I think we used it for quite a while. Oh, One say. of
1: my favorite stories with that is women from two different churches were uh, going to work together on a bazaar or something, and the way that they rolled the Yelanchi or the, the grape leaves was mm-hmm. was different. And so apparently this is, it's, it's almost a legend at this point. Right, but right. Apparently one woman like overnight when no one was looking, went back and re-rolled oh all of the grape
0: Not saying that it's wrong. Yeah. I mean, this is, um, there's this old, I heard it in the Church of Scotland and then ever subsequently I've heard Jewish versions and Catholic versions of, you know, like, the man who's stranded on an Island. And when they find him, he's got three huts and it's like, well, you know, what are the, why the three huts? It's like, well, that's where I live. And there's the church I used to go to. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I can, I can imagine that. Uh, why is the competition for a grape, uh, grape leaf rolling so stiff, you know, cause the stakes are so low.
1: <laughs> there you go.
0: Um, Okay, so Heather O'Hannison, Doctor Reverend, Reverend Doctor, or er, uh, are you Reverend?
1: I'm not a Reverend yet. Not I'm, technically, I'm yet, yeah, in the process.
0: Yeah. So, Doctor Heather O'Hannison, what what was the the path that got you here? Like, how did you like? What would be the direct path to get to where you're at today? And then, what was the path you
1: walked? I don't know if. There is a direct path for, for other women to, to leadership in, in Armenian churches right now. In a way, you have to come in through through the back door, which is how I, how I got there. I grew up in what we call American churches, but basically non-Armenian Protestant churches, and even fairly conservative ones. So when I graduated college in 2003, I was interested in going to seminary then, but nobody really affirmed that as a possible calling for me. So I did the next best thing and got a PhD in the philosophy of religion. Right, (laughs) Of course. Why not?
0: Yeah, at Columbia, right?
1: At Columbia. And I loved that. I loved studying. I loved teaching. I taught in Christian universities for six years on the West Coast. And all of that time I was involved in Armenian evangelical circles. So back in 2006, I stumbled across the Armenian Evangelical Church in New York, which is on 34th Street in between Lex and 3rd, and was just so excited to find a place where I could have basically an English-based, sort of biblically-oriented worship service, but to be with other Armenians. and. Let's see, eventually I, I asked, could I be sent to seminary? And the answer was really no. At that time, the the group of Armenian evangelical churches wasn't wasn't yet ready to send a woman uh, to be a head pastor for that purpose. So um, I guess through a turn of events, I found out that this church in Havertown, Pennsylvania was, was open to having a female pastor. And so I applied and they took a risk on me and brought me in. And so now I'm... Uh, here, leading the church and going to seminary at Princeton to get the MDiv, and then the the hope is to be ordained next year and to be the Reverend Doctor.
0: Right, excellent. Uh, and I think to this date, you I, yeah, I think this is true. You are the only person I have ever met who, while living in a beautiful part of West Coast several beautiful places in the West Coast that people, many people would kill to live in these places because of the access to nature. Every time I talk to you, you're like, oh, I wish I could be in New York City.
1: <laughs> I'm so a New Yorker at heart.
0: You are like the biggest New Yorker fangirl I've ever met in my life. Um, you you appreciate more about New York City than I think even many New Yorkers who, who just kind of walk by and, and treat it like they're stomping grounds. What What do you love about New York so much?
1: I love the vibrancy of it. I love the sense that people have have purpose there. There's, there's energy, there's direction, there's ambition, there's culture. I think what I missed so much when I was on the West Coast was a sense of cultural vibrancy. And mm. I got spoiled. You know, In New York, you can always do something uh, of, of cultural worth any night of the week. And, mm-hmm. and I missed that, that um, range of options out there.
0: Yeah, it definitely has that. Um and if you were to, you know, think about the spread of Armenian Christianity across the United States, uh, is there are there corridors? You know, lots of for lots of chain migration there are like veins that get uh tapped. Uh so is there a reason it comes in through does it come in through Boston and then move to California? Do you know?
1: You're saying historically. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So I think Worcester was the first place there was an Armenian evangelical church, although it might, it it depends on whether you count, uh, you know, a meeting in somebody's home. And so it's it's probably pretty close to the founding of the church in New York. Um, There is an old Fresno community that predates the Armenian genocide. Um, There's a Mm. great story of um, somebody basically receiving a, a vision back in in Armenia to flee. So um, wow. there was uh, like a small exodus, I would say, um, before the genocide. So that's-
0: to, Straight to that California?
1: To, I think maybe to LA first and then up okay. to Fresno. Um, but there's great historical uh, records on this. And this, there was a sense, I think, that the Fresno Valley was similar to the, the land back home. Hmm. And um, so that's a very, very old- congregation and i heard the story that the armenians had been worshiping with the presbyterians but they were made to sit in the back because they they smelled too much like garlic and so they they felt offended by that discrimination and they left to start their own church
0: (laughs) i mean that is pretty offensive
1: (laughs) but also maybe a believable story
0: believe yes tough but fair yeah
1: and so there are actually growing uh, communities in Texas, Wisconsin, and Florida, um, and it would be exciting to see new churches being built in those in those places.
0: Hmm. So for the Jews, the Holocaust, the Hashoah, has basically determined all Jewish thinking, uh, you know, e- even since before the 1930s and beyond. It, it has shaped the way they think of themselves, the way they do theology, the way they think of scripture, the way they think of God and the culture at large. Uh, do you find that same kind of theological shaping uh, in the Armenian community from the uh, Armenian genocide?
1: I think so. I think it comes out for me when I listen to contemporary Armenian worship songs. There's mm. a strong sense of f- fidelity to God, <clears throat> to fidelity to God to the end, no matter what. So, I will not forget my faith. I will remain faithful if the sword comes. I think having lived through that and having preserved faith in the aftermath of that has given a depth and richness to, to Armenian faith that sometimes is lacking in in other cultures.
0: Hmm. I, I mean, it's interesting because for Hashoah, uh, the, the Holocaust, it it actually caused a lot of people to I don't want to say lose faith because I know it's a Christianized way of saying it, but it it caused them to really like point back at God and say, are you the one that we're supposed to be, you know, worship? Are you just powerful, but not no longer on our side? Um, Do you you sense any of that in the community or, or is it a doubling down?
1: I think it's a doubling down. And that's, that's a good reminder to, to appreciate that. I think to take that as a grace, the, um, the term um, in Armenian is medziren, so the great catastrophe, the great mm. crime is the way that that Armenians had referred to it before the language of genocide was, or the term genocide was was created. Mm.
0: Well, uh, soon to be Reverend Dr. Heather O. Hannison, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom in guiding us through this part of the church that many of us have never uh, thought about outside of the Kardashians. Uh, But I feel like we have a great primer now uh, before. So thank you so much for your time.
1: Such a pleasure being with you. Thank you, Drew. You've been listening to the Biblical Mind Podcast, exploring the deep structures of Christian scripture. For more, visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org. Subscribe to this podcast at all the usual places so you never miss an episode.